Blog Talk Radio. Hi, I'm Ryan Tannehill, quarterback for the Miami Dolphins, and I represent the Finsider with the PH. Good evening. Welcome to another edition of Finsider Radio. My name is Keith. I'll be your host. We're on the air until about 10.30 Eastern tonight. We have a very special show, which is why we're on Wednesday this week. Tomorrow is, of course, the 2015 NFL Draft, Draft Night, that is. Uh, it's been a, a wild week, a lot of rumors, of course. The big thing now, the the coin phrase is smokescreen, and there's been plenty of that, not so much for us, which is uh, a change. I feel like in years past, the, the Dolphins get put up as a team that's uh, a buyer, a wheeler, and a dealer. So I haven't really seen that much about the team this week. But, of course, we have 24 hours for all that to drastically change. As always, I am flanked by my faithful co-host, Duke. How are you tonight? I'm doing well. Merry NFL Christmas Eve, everyone. It is. It is the NFL Draft Eve. I I find that this is actually more exciting than Christmas Eve at this point. uh, Certainly more rewarding, and you don't have to see any any relatives that you're avoiding. We have a special, uh, speaking of people we avoid, we have a uh, very special guest on tonight. He actually joins us more often than not. But he's a special full-time guest tonight, Lewis from Finn Maniacs. How are you doing this evening? Doing pretty good. Had a uh, rather interesting uh, exchange on Twitter, but I think we're past that. Ooh, give us a second and do tell. Uh, one thing I do want to note, I'd like to start the show on a high note, an obvious note, if you will. Uh, the news just came in that the Dolphins will pick up the fifth-year option on Ryan Tannehill's contract. So somewhere somewhere o- Omar is bristling. <laughs> Although, I mean, we, we, all, we all expected this. Well, I'm perfectly fine with it. As you should be. Before we really get things started, tell us about your, your little uh, Twitter encounter. Yeah, as if you guys don't know. Well, if it comes know. to pass. I don't know. Yeah, I'm sure you don't. <laughs> What's uh, that supposed to mean? Okay. okay, so I had too much faith in humanity, and I said that because if he, if he shows up, we're going to have another guest later, and that'll be Matthew Kanata, who is actually the head guy for Finn Maniacs, and... Uh, we, we, he and I are kind of the two guys, and Chad is also on our show. But Matt was gonna Matt was gonna be on this show as well, and I said, "Hey, you wanna? Uh, we're gonna because I when I hear the word double team, I don't think nasty part. I think like, hey, we're gonna go and team up and we're gonna take these two on and stuff." It's not you are so quite much literally more. the only guy listening to this show who who feels that way. Quite literally, okay, well, everyone else listening to the show thinks double team. What are you thinking? That's an alphaism, isn't it? Oh, that's probably why we're conditioned to to think that way. That's a good point. That we could spend be as much it. time around alpha as we do. We we've been we've been conditioned to to interpret things like, oh, I, you want to double team these guys? Come on. Anyway, anyway, I didn't realize that was the encounter you were talking about. I do know about that encounter, and it was. Yeah. Uh, 
an, an, an unpleasant one to say the least. Hopefully Matthew calls in at some point. I'd like to. I was thinking that maybe we could go ahead and do a, a little fourteen pick mock draft. We can each uh, we'll each pick a number and we'll go from there. I think that'd be exciting. I think we we have a. It, from what I could tell on Twitter, we should have a, a decent amount of guest callers tonight. I know Brian, who contributes on the site, is uh, going to give us a call at some point. I always like hearing from him. Uh, Dolphin fan for life, provided he's not back in the hospital. Uh, I assume he's on the mend, and I assume he'll give us a call. And then we have some other regulars that we always like to hear from. So if you guys want to give us a call in the studio, it's uh, an important night. Uh, 347-326-9461. We are talking tomorrow night's NFL draft. We're talking about whether or not the Dolphins are going to do what everyone all of a sudden expects them to do, which is uh, draft Georgia running back Todd Gurley. But that whole that whole hype train escalated in our in a hurry, did it not? Because it was sort of bubbling at the surface for a while. Then it, I would say, within the past week and a half, it just I mean, it skyrocketed. I mean, that became like the de facto pick among a lot of mock drafts. A lot of people who they know they think they know what the Dolphins are going to do at number fourteen. What do you guys think about that? You want to go first, Duke? Sure. Um, I mean, I personally kind of believe that. I mean, it's all—it's all a lot of it smokescreen. I mean, I'm sure they have fairly high on their board, and um, I, I don't know. It, it just—it's too. It's a little too much to be one of those. Maybe they're throwing the curveball and telling the truth, and everyone thinks it's false. Kind of smokescreen. So I don't think I don't think that's part of what's going on. I don't. Uh, I won't be unhappy with that pick. I just don't think it's the best use of of the resources. Simply because, even with, uh, even if you change the offense to a run oriented offense, you know, look at what Seattle does. <clears throat> You're still only talking about a running back that gets 15, 14 or 15 carries a game uh, on average. Is that what you really want out of a out of the, the, the pick at 14? Or could you find a back later that uh, uh, that can give you those 14 carries? So, um, you know, and it's not like Miller, uh, Lamar Miller is chopped liver either. I mean, he got 216 carries, 11, right at 1,100 yards, eight touchdowns. He led. He was top ten in every category except carries. Um, so I just don't see running back as a huge need. But I mean, if they feel that he's a special enough prospect that he is an elite kind of guy, a once in a you know ten year kind of running back or whatever, then I could see them doing it. But I think it's a lot. Me personally, I think a lot of it's just smoke screen, either to get someone to trade up or perhaps scare a team ahead of Miami into kind of making a panic pick. Um, you know, I've seen a lot of stuff saying that the Jets might be interested in Gurley. If they think that uh, he could go in the division, you know, maybe they could scare their uh, their new GM into making that pick. I don't know. What do you think, Lewis? Smoke screen, legitimate, what's going on here? <sighs> okay, well... The fact that there's so much smoke going around the NFL now, I honestly have no idea what's real and what's not. I'm kind of having, like, hallucinations about this kind of thing. But if you're going to ask me, like, what do I think of the girly pick if it happens, I 
I would be okay with it. I don't really don't have a problem with this. I mean, if this were a case where people are so casually just comparing this guy to Peterson and Lynch and can you this is the this is the thing. Do you think that he can be beast mode 2.0? If you do believe so, and I think he can be as long as he's healthy and of course there's always that risk, but a lot of great talents come with that risk. If you believe he can do that, then imagine what it would be like for Tannehill if he could have someone like Marshawn Lynch in the backfield. I understand um, Pablo and Oscar's uh, case about he ran, uh, Lamar Miller ran for 1,000 yards. I get it. I'm not looking to replace Lamar Miller. I am looking to add a piece to the offense that could somewhat, that could pretty much be elite into the coming years because – Lamar Miller's contract is almost up. We're going to have to either pay the guy or move on from him. So if you're going to move on from him, it'd be a good thing to have someone like Gurley who could potentially be the next elite running back in the NFL. And I get the whole Melvin Gordon thing. He probably fits better in this offense, and I understand the thinking. But to me, Melvin Gordon just seems like a um, a better, younger version of Lamar Miller at least in my opinion. I don't see him as a bruiser kind of a back. I see him more as a uh, Lamar Miller speed guy. I mean, maybe he can be the home run guy, just like Miller could, assuming he gets a good hole to run through. But if my preference, I want somebody who can get the tough yards when it counts, and that's usually somebody like Todd Gurley, simply because he's a more powerful runner than someone like Melvin Gordon would be. I wouldn't be upset by the pick, but I'm not going to jump for joy either. It's kind of a weird neutral stance on the whole thing. I th- I think that as far as I know, we're all Lamar Miller fans on this show. I know I am. I I think yeah, I don't Duke have a problem too, with Miller. I, no, not at all. I think that's what some some people are are misconstruing with this whole conversation, though. Is they they think that if you're into if you're into drafting Todd Gurley at number fourteen overall, that you you either don't like Lamar Miller or you're you're willing to toss him aside for Todd Gurley. And I mean nothing could be further for the truth for me for not to speak for Duke, but I know he feels the same way. Uh that if you're bringing up that that conversation, that you're not talking about replacing Lamar Miller or uh minimizing what he does. I love Lamar Miller's uh effect on this offense. I think he I'd like to think that he's got his best year best years ahead of him, hopefully. But another thing is, uh, as the the contract uh, expires and you wonder, is, is he going to be back with Miami? Is he going to go elsewhere? Is Because, uh, I mean, that second contract with a running back in, in today's NFL is a tricky thing. It's something that all teams approach differently, but you're starting to see a consensus come up where a lot of people get gun-shy when it comes to uh, re-signing these running backs. And I, I would be open to re-signing Lamar Miller. I think that uh, I like what he brings to the the team. I like his his speed. I think he's a perfect does uh, uh, a runner in the the zone blocking scheme. So I, I mean he's one of those one cut type guys, and I mean so he fits what we're looking to do. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and get the take from uh, Brian. Actually, gave us a call while we were in the middle of that, and to step away from a second. Brian, how are you doing tonight? Good. What's up, guys? Uh, nothing. Just, uh, I, we're inside of 24 hours now, so everyone's excited to com- do compare it to Christmas Eve. Yeah. Christmas <laughs> Eve. So, what do you hope we do with the number 14 pick, within reason? I mean, do you think 
by some miracle of a chance, one of the receivers is there for us. Do you think we move up? Do you think we surprise people at number 14? What do you, what do you see happening tomorrow night? I mean, predictions are kind of tough at this stage with all the smoke blowing around. Um, oh, everyone I mean, knows it, though. <laughs> it's it's funny because every time you start getting excited to play about a player, um, you start reading more and more into it and start talking yourself out of it. So about a month a month ago, we were all excited because there were 20 guys at the spot that we're picking, and we had you know so many options and opportunities, and everything was looking up. And now as it gets closer and closer, you, we kind of just I feel like a lot of us, including me, are just talking ourselves out of players. Where the draft's going to be tomorrow. Uh, you know, there'll be two or three guys on the board, and you're like, I'm not sure if I want any of these guys. <laughs> so, um, Yeah, o- overanalyzation is a very real thing, especially in the, the last few days leading up to the draft. Like you said, it's really easy to talk yourself out of some of these players, and I totally agree. The the, the one dynamic I've, I've noticed with this year's draft class, the wide receivers in particular, is that it started out in – Dolphins fans were fairly certain that they weren't going to get any of the big three at number 14. And then it looked like, hey, maybe you can you can pick between two of these guys at number 14. Maybe a couple of these guys will slide. And I feel like the pool's dried up again. Now people expect yeah. all three to be gone. I mean, I usually I find myself every year kind of a uh, usually an advocate of trading down, um, just because we, we're, you know, we're not that 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 is just, you know, one piece away from from a huge contention where we need a couple building pieces and we need to hit on a few to, you know, to make that big splash and a big jump um, from year to year. So um, I think trading down, if the value is right, is still good because, you know, the, there's a lot of prospects within that 20 to 30 range that I think is right up our wheelhouse. And, uh, you know, either one of those top wide receivers will fall um, most of the linebackers, if not all the linebackers, will be available. Um, most of the running backs, if not all the running backs, will be available, probably besides Gurley. Um, I wrote a fan post today. You probably checked out uh, how I'm not really a big advocate of drafting Todd Gurley at pick 14, even though I'm a big fan of his, and I love the way he runs, and I think he'd be a great piece for Miami. Um, there's a lot of reasons why, um, mostly because of the value of the running back position. It's just, it's changed. Um, yeah. You know, the gone of the years of Barry Sanders. Um, and football has definitely become a different sport um, from a one running back standpoint. So to answer your question, I'd say probably trade down. Uh, if Devontae Parker's on the board, I do like him. I, I, I like what he can bring to this team. Um, I think he can be that jump ball kind of receiver, and it would give us three young pieces for Tannehill to kind of grow with. So he doesn't, we don't have to play musical chairs every year at the receiver position. I think that if we draft a guy like that, those guys are set. And if Jordan Cameron is the receiver that we all think he's going to be at tight end, I think we got a great building piece um, to build, you know, around our offense. So I would trade. I would We've got trade a nice down. receiver core. Yeah, I would trade down or target Devontae Parker would probably be my option. Um, if we trade up for anyone, it would be Kevin White, but. I don't see that happening, and uh, we'll see what happens. But there's there's plenty of options. There's not just one guy that seems to be a lock like a lot of other years. I think Kevin White would definitely be the X factor. I can imagine the frenzy that a lot of fans would go would uh, would go into if if the Dolphins moved up, which is funny because everyone's still 
soar over the whole Deion Jordan thing. And a lot of people, a lot of fans were excited when we, when we traded up to three two years ago. So it, it would be it would be interesting. I agree that Devontae Parker is a guy the Dolphins shouldn't pass on. I, I've seen a couple of mock drafts where he's there at 14 and the Dolphins go elsewhere. I think that's insane. I think my favorite thing about him is the fact that if you put him in this offense, everyone else's job in the receiver core becomes exponentially easier. Great. Like, all of a sudden, Greg Jones, I, Greg Jones, man, where am I tonight? Greg Jennings is in there, and he's able to serve that veteran presence. But the thing is, is his job is easier. He's All of a sudden, he's in there, and all he needs to do is just, to be, just be another contributing wide receiver in this group. Jarvis Landry takes a lot of pressure off of him if Devontae Parker's in there. Jarvis Landry can do what he does. Kenny Stills does the kind of work in space the Dolphins want and serves the deep threat. He's got that 4-3 speed. All of a sudden, things become a lot easier because when you game plan for these guys, Kenny Stills and Jarvis Landry and uh, Greg Jennings and Jordan Cameron are just pieces of the puzzle. And then you have to sit there and think, but what are we going to do about Devontae Parker? So that's exciting, and of course I'm building this up, and now Devontae Parker will be gone by like number 11 or 12. I saw the r- rumor come out today that that um, people people suspected there was the rumor that Cleveland wanted to trade up to two. You have to figure that that would that might benefit us in terms of receiver because if they moved up to two, and I know that that was BS, but if they moved up to two for Mariota at that point. It, what Tennessee, Tennessee is trying to rebuild the back end of their defense to go ahead and uh, pair it with the work that they did to the front seven this off season. You think that maybe, just maybe, they leave wide receiver alone, and then you're worrying about a team like Minnesota. What is Minnesota going to do? There's a couple of avenues they could take. You know, Mike Zimmer is a guy where he wants that really nasty defense. He wants that front seven that is just absolutely ruthless. So while they had, they're starting to really build up an impressive front seven in Minnesota, maybe they take one of the guys who is expected to slide a bit and put him to their advantage and go ahead and just add him. Because I've seen this thing how Shane Ray is considered a late one. I do not see that happening now. I know a lot of people want to believe it. I don't think he's on the board past, I don't know. I have a hard time buying that he's going he's gonna to fall that far. I think one of those guys will fall, though. They always do. You know that. I think that if it's if it's one of them, one of them's going to fall. But uh, you're seeing the thing that Gregory's going to fall, Ray's going to fall. A lot of people are the issue that people have with Vic Beasley is that he was a one year a one year standout in terms of the numbers that people want to see at the next level. So I mean, something's got to give here because you can't just have all these pass rushers falling. I mean, we, we, as well as anyone, know how hard it is to acquire a top-tier pass rusher. Oh, now, you, right. have this whole, you have this whole narrative out there. Like, it's just it's going to be raining pass rushers. They're all going to be falling out of the top 15, top 20, possibly the top 32. And I just I think that it's too important of a need. It, it's a, a hot-button type position because everyone wants it. Right now, you're seeing like when these guys were all getting mocked into the top 12, it's because everyone wants these elephant type rushers now, or they want a Leo rusher. That's becoming the new thing. You know, Atlanta wants their Leo rusher. Jacksonville wants their Leo rusher. Seattle can always use another one. 
So I, I one of them will fight. It could be Randy Gregory. I saw that a lot of people are questioning his his what was it his mental uh, his ability to take the mental rigors of the game. I believe that was the the direct quote. So yeah, someone's going to fall out of it, but I don't think that it's going to be all these guys. I don't think because that that hurts us then because you have to assume that if all these pass rushers are falling out, who's going in their place? A lot Receivers. of the receivers. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. So that whole theory that we push on the site about how you like it when these play, quarterbacks, as long as they have a quarterback, which we do now, so we can enjoy the fruits of this, when you have these quarterbacks and these, these pass rushers and these guys come in and they uproot a lot of the talent that normally you wouldn't have a crack at getting, all of a sudden these guys might be in play. Now, at 14, it's going to be a bit of a stretch. But, I mean, that's what you hope for. So, I mean, I don't know. I don't see Shane Ray falling that far. I think someone's going to going to get all starry-eyed when they see him on the board. I mean, it could be it could be as far as 20. I don't know. Perhaps the same thing with Randy Gregory. I think Vic Beasley isn't going to slide that far. I think Vic Beasley's outstanding. So, and it, like, we're kids in, can, in a candy store with this. It's so funny to hear us talk. I mean, like, there's all these options, and we're not even talking about what the Dolphins – we're talking about stuff that will affect the Dolphins. We're not even talking about stuff that they're going to do directly. And everything we talk about is going to change within 10 minutes of the first round. <laughs> Oh yeah, I've already changed my mind. Yeah, it happens. It happens every year. You know, there's nothing you can do about it. You know, and that's the best. Mm-hmm. That's a good thing too. Like you know, the receiver position, obviously, is something we looked at. Devontae Parker's, you know, a, a great receiver in a deep wide receiver class. Um, like you mentioned, he kind of fits that one piece for a young receiver that kind of give, gives every Dolphin receiver their role. You know, he's our red zone, jump ball guy. Kenny Stills would be more of our deep end, open space guy. Greg Jennings would probably take over for uh, Brian Hartline, um, you know, probably be a little bit better at that position. And Jarvis Landry just needs to pretty much do what he did last year and build upon that. But, I mean, Miami doesn't have to go receiver at 14. That's why. That's another reason why I'm an advocate of, of trading down, because you've got to think one of these guys will drop it. If it's the best player available and it happens to be a receiver, you know, Miami has a need for a receiver to uh, possibly, you know, end up as their Z or number one receiver in the future. So, um, you know, if these receivers start kind of going a little bit early, like you mentioned, I think Miami should be on the phone, kind of see what options they have out there, and uh, think about trading back. And uh, there's plenty of decent receivers that can come in and do a good job, but between receiver, linebacker, cornerback, and um, offensive line, you know, Miami has definitely a bunch of options. So we really don't know what the heck they're going to be thinking of and what they're going to be setting up for day two and day three of the draft. Yeah, you have to figure out sometime at some point they're going to try to to recapture that third-round pick that they gave away for Kenny Stills. One thing that I, I want to bring up before we move on to some other topics, although they're all draft-related anyway, is uh, – yeah, a lot of people on the site who are a big fan of uh, Nelson Aguilar, uh, Duke and I are both big fans of of him. Uh, I think he would be just a, an absolute incredible fit in Bill Lazor's offense, no doubt. Uh, I fear, though, that if if they draft him, it's almost like the reaction from some people is going to be sort of anticlimactic. Like, oh, we just got a we just got a you know a fastish receiver. 
They don't understand that. No, you just you just what you just drafted was is Ryan Tannehill's best friend moving forward, and that's the that's to pair him with these other or to add him to all these other incredible receivers that we're that we're uh, stocking the cover with right now. But Nelson Aguilar has the best hands in this draft. I think he's arguably. I'm people are going to say Amari Cooper is the best route runner. I don't think he's a better route runner than Amari Cooper. I think he's near as good. So I'd say he's a top two route runner. He's got low four four speed. So I mean he's not hey, which is outstanding. I mean he's not a an absolute speed demon. If you're expecting him to to pick up Mike Wallace's slack, that's not going to be the case. But what you're getting is a guy who's just not only the ultimate safety valve, but he can stretch the field when you ask him. He can make the contested catch. He he shows up when you need him and he's reliable. And I think that's awesome. So I hope that if the Dolphins do end up with that guy, they realize that no, you just didn't pick a you didn't just grab a guy who's got a few nice attributes and he's a sort of middle of the road receiver. I think you have a sleeper in this draft who could turn out to be one of the best guys to come from the 2015 receiver group, which is a big deal. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we all saw what Odell Beckham did last year, and uh, you know, Aguilar is one of those interesting guys. Everyone's got their their um, you know, their favorite prospects and their sleepers and their guy to look out for. I mean, Aguilar, I watched a little bit of his tape. He's a shifty guy, man. He's definitely one of those guys who want over space, in open space. He's, he's not too big, um, so you have to just be wary about, you know, all, a lot of crossing routes and everything with all the big physical defenders in the NFL nowadays. But, you know, I can see this guy as, you know, his ceiling being a Randall Cobb type player and think about, a, you know, a quarterback only receiver. I mean, it's an weapon that we have. So, um, you know, everyone's got their guys. I mean, he kind of reminds me a little bit of, uh, you know, Philip Dorsett in this draft, just another guy that's got plenty of speed, but that's not his only attribute. But, you know, when I look at Miami, the reason I like a guy like Kevin White or uh, even Devontae Parker, even though he's not as big, but I, I just think Miami needs a big target. Um you know, we haven't really had our, our big wide receiver since Brandon Marshall, and he's just frustrated fans because because of his hands. And that's our main reason why Perriman's getting such a, a bad rap on the site, even though I don't think he's – I think his drops are blown a little bit out of proportion. Um, you know, for every drop, he makes a spectacular catch, and he's a lot better off, uh, off the line at creating separation than a lot of these other bigger guys are. I don't think people realize that, so – Okay, well, let's be fair here. Let's be fair. Marshall had Chad Henney throwing him the football, and he was definitely not friends with Chad Henney, so that probably had a lot to do with it. That's a good point, and I was always a pro advocate of, of Marshall, and I got blasted plenty of times, but as soon as we traded him, we, you know, fielded a rookie quarterback and Ryan Tannehill and gave him, uh, who was that, that receiver? Who was the knee, right? Was his number one receiver? On Le the yeah, training camp pr- superstar. Omar Kelly's favorite player. <laughs> so, and then we realized why uh, Ryan Tannehill wouldn't wouldn't progress the way as fast as we wanted him to. So, you know, every young receiver on the team looks to have kind of their own niche. And I, I think we, we already have a good, solid nucleus of uh, playmakers. And I'm just looking for that big guy who, you know, Chano gets flustered or we need a big play that he can kind of throw to the sideline and one-on-one coverage, you're going to, you know, give the benefit of the doubt to your receiver. And even though 
Parker is big as, you know, a DGB or a Kevin White or even a Brashad Pyramid. I like his all-around play. He kind of reminds me of uh, A.J. Green, not as solid as a route runner. And he, uh, I think he, Parker has the best hands in the draft. He's got phenomenal body control, great vision, great awareness, and um, awesome concentration. So um, that's kind of what I like because he can be one of the possession guys, but also a big play receiver, and that balance is kind of what I look for uh, you know, as a missing piece for a young receiver to kind of grow with Ryan Tango. I'm not going to argue with that. Uh, I'm not going to argue with that, but I think the whole idea of actually needing a big play receiver is a little overblown at this point. I was always saying that the only reason that we needed to keep Wallace was because he made sure that the safeties had to back off and give had to keep some space between them and Wallace. But now that we have this kind of an offense and there's going to be targets flying all over the place, I don't see the need so much for a big play receiver because now we're bringing in guys who can get the yards after the catch, and I think that we can create what is, in essence, a Tom Brady-esque offense. And I keep harping back to this because it's so relevant, but nobody wants to listen to it. In the Super Bowl, Brady threw 40 out of 51 passes just less than 10 yards. That's how far they went going forward, less than 10 yards. He dinked and dunked his way to winning a Super Bowl. So the whole idea of we need this big play receiver, it's a little overblown if you ask me. I think Tannehill can pretty much dink and dunk his way to victory as long as his receivers can get the yards that they need afterwards. I think the the idea is that you just want to equip Ryan Tannehill with the best weapons possible. So, I mean, I get the idea that if you're adding more size to – to a receiver's frame and you put them out there, you're technically enhance or you're uh, enhancing your quarterback's chances of success. I want to go ahead and segue yeah. real quick because we have another caller. Brian, you want to stay with us? It's a special night. I stick around. Yeah, no problem. Okay. Usually I get scared about having so many people on the show, but now nah, what the hell? So next, I want to, we're going to the phones and it's Zach and talk about Lyle Collins and that whole debacle going on right now. Zach, how are you doing tonight? How's it going, guys? Good. Yeah, I mean, I just thought I'd bring up the Bill uh, Collins leaving the draft to deal with his, what was it, his ex-girlfriend was murdered or something something awful. His pregnant ex-girlfriend was murdered. Yeah, even worse. Um, but I know Keith and I had a, a quick chat about it on Twitter today, um, and I think it's getting way overblown. People are turning this into, you know, some sort of character issue that really isn't there. He's just trying to help them out. Yeah. Yeah, those are people who didn't actually read the article, and they're just thinking, oh, well, this is a problem. Time to go. Yeah, that's unfortunate because everything I've seen from Collins suggests that this this isn't the kind of thing you can expect from him. So the fact that people just kind of read read into it what they wanted to see. It was disappointing. Uh, the fact that you, I think that a lot of people, especially right now, are like this because of the whole Aaron Hernandez thing. When he, I mean, he, was, he wasn't considered a suspect. And then the mobile hole, I mean, they, I mean, it goes from pretty much that to he's a serial killer almost overnight. So I think some people tend to draw a parallel to things that they shouldn't. I'd say yeah, this no is one of them. It sounds like... Gun-shy. 
let me give you another parallel that, that's going to happen. Um, with the Deion Jordan situation, you're seeing a lot of people saying, well, take this guy off the board, take that guy off the board because of off-the-field issues. We, we ran the exact same thing in the 2010 draft. Well, we don't want um, problem guys. We don't want Des Bryant because he's an issue. Uh, stuff like that. So now what do you see people say on Twitter and things? Well, I remember Jared Audrick and Koamisi uh, as the guys we traded down to get instead of getting Des Bryant. And, you know, take a guy like Green Beckham or Collins or some of these guys that have some issues, if they turn out to be stars, and we don't know that yet, but if they turn out to be stars and they were off the board because of issues, you can bet the you'll see fans all over the site, Dolphins fans everywhere will be saying, we shouldn't have traded down or we should have taken this guy. He was there. Why didn't we, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's the same kind of stuff. So here's what you need to do. If you think these players uh, are going to be an issue off the field, you know, that's what this pre-draft evaluation is for. Look at these guys. Evaluate them. Get to know them really well. Get to know their backgrounds. If you think this guy is kind of a product of a bad environment, so to speak, um, that if you kind of shelter him, he's going to be a good player. Then you take him and you do that. You don't, you know, don't take a guy and I hate to keep bringing up the situation, but don't take a guy like Jonathan Martin and then throw him in a locker room with, with guys who, you know, are going to escalate a situation like that. It, it, I mean, if you just want to take choir boys, that's fine. That, that's the, their prerogative. They said, I believe their their words were, they want players that love football. So part of that is, well, are you going to be this party animal? Are you going to go out and get busted for drugs all the time? Or whatever else, you know, I guarantee you that there's not just a handful of players in the NFL that smoke pot or any of that other stuff. I'm sure it's a lot more rampant than we think. What makes Deion Jordan so bad is he couldn't get on the field. He was we traded up for him, and then he, he blows this test, even when he knows he's going to have to take this test. And you can just kind of tell the love of football is not really – you know, it's not really high on his list. But with these other guys, again, if you think that you can handle the off-the-field stuff, if you think you can shelter these kids from bad environments, if you think, like we joked about on the show, we can let them live at Stephen Ross's house, just, you know, whatever. If you think you can uh, put these guys in an environment, in a locker room with people that are going to say, listen, you need to keep yourself straight so that you can get on the field and do good things, then then you take them. You know, character issues be darned. So, you know, it's just it's kind of a it's just kind of a I I just you know it's a cyclical thing. 2010, you know, we don't want these trouble players. Uh, After you know when Brandon Marshall's here, well let's get rid of him because he's a trouble guy. Then, you know, 2012, we get rid of him. We don't have a good receiving guard. We should have kept Marshall. It's the same thing. So just, you know, find the talent, yeah. develop the talent, and I was just gonna say that. make I think, sure you I put them in a situation to win, both on the field and off the field. Yeah, I was going to say that. I think you're you're right about the whole situation with at least Colin. Um, 
all the teams that brought him in at this point, they're going to know what kind of person he is. And if we're getting the right story that he's just going back to help, you know, take the paternity test, the things that, you know, a good person would do, then these teams know that. If if there's something where he has a character concern involved in this, then they would have found that out in the pre-draft process. I'm I'm not concerned about it at all. I'm not either. I think that it's, it's a lot of um, just knee-jerk reaction, but just really not taking the time to read into what's actually going on, which is dangerous unto itself. I think that um, it, we were just talking about pass rushers who are, who are going to slide. You have to figure that, uh, given the whole Deion Jordan thing, Randy Gregory is someone that might give people pause right now if they paid any attention to the Deion Jordan thing. So that, that's my, my whole thought on it. I see a lot of Deion Jordan and Randy Gregory, although, I mean, he looks like an outstanding player. I've actually got some theories about... Let me throw something else on here real quick. You have to watch out for the media as well. You have to watch out for the media as well because they spin their own stories. And I'll give you an example. Oh, Um, boy. A guy that we've talked about on the show has repeatedly vouched for Jameis Winston, saying he's a guy that, you know, he would take, he loves him, he thinks he's got all the stuff to be a good quarterback. There's plenty of stuff out there saying this guy's got tons of character issues as well. The same guy has also said he wouldn't take Doyle Green Beckham or some of these other players like Marcus Peters because he doesn't, he doesn't want somebody to have to baby. So, you know, it's kind of pick and choose your own adventure there with some of this, uh, with some of the information you get out there regarding this, these players because media members, not just Miami, but everyone has their own agenda. And, you know, we kind of look at it as a derogatory term to call them tools, but that's really kind of what they are at this point. As the, I'm guaranteed the teams are using them to put out false information and using them as tools, so to speak, to put this stuff out there to maybe get a guy fall that they, you know, maybe a team like uh, that needs a pass rusher, say, in the mid-teens that wasn't going to get one of these guys. We'll throw out some negative information out there. Use the media to make this guy kind of look bad. You know, it, it, it's very possible that that stuff happens. But when you read anything about these players, just remember that whoever's writing this stuff has probably got their own bias, and you just kind of have to take it for what it is. Like I said, we've, you know, media members have said they don't want certain players because they want to baby, they don't want to babysit someone yet at the same time take a player with character issues because of something else. So, you know, it is what it is. Let's uh, let's look at this from a different angle, though. Actually, a, a completely different side of it, because you said the the media and the, really the NFL media at large spinning certain uh, certain topics and certain issues that have come out of the whole pre-draft process. A great example of that would be when Dallas came out and well, it's now known that Dallas is the one who did it, but put out that Shane Ray needed toe surgery for turf toe. This is before the whole marijuana thing on Monday. This is late last week. It comes out that Shane Ray, according to one team's doctor, has a turf toe that needs to be surgically repaired. And all of a sudden it's getting spun out there and people are like, oh, this guy's an injury case. I saw a bunch of people saying like, well, then, I mean, he's probably not going to go that high in the draft if he's got all the, if he's got the turf toe issue and it's not really something that teams are going to want to want to work with right off the bat. And it comes out that it was just Dallas pretty much. 
I mean, alluring his stock to the point where, I mean, you could slide right to him if you're reading between the lines. So, I mean, I agree that this time of year, especially with all the stuff that comes out there uh, in, on Twitter, even NFL.com, anywhere, the information, you have to take it with a grain of salt because a lot of it's agenda-driven. A lot of it is funneled via a team. And, I mean, that team isn't out there to serve other teams' interests. They're out there to serve their own. And sometimes serving their own interests includes pumping up or deflating a player's stock, which sounds really messed up. But, I mean, we've seen it happen time and time again. But Dan Marino is the greatest example of that. Mr. Supposed Cokehead himself at the University of Pitt to the point where the, the Raiders didn't even have him in their top three which seems incredibly messed up when you think about it. At number 26 overall, the Raiders weren't interested in Dan Marino. And a big reason for that is that whole rumor that was out there about drug use at the University of Pittsburgh, and it turned out to be, as far as we could tell, complete BS. And even if some of it was true, it never was a factor in his pro career. So, I mean, sometimes things just get spun and what you choose to do with that information can can determine whether or not you, you get a prospect you can be patient with, the kind of guy that you, you wanted all along, or maybe you find yourself talking yourself maybe you find yourself getting talked out of some of these players, which isn't always a good thing. And you have plenty to trust of examples these teams have have done have, you have to trust the team, you know, that Tannenbaum and Hickey and all their guys have done the necessary amount of research on these players. So, all right, just for example, look at Doyle Green Beckham. Nobody expects him to be on the Dolphins' board because of the Deion Jordan situation. If the Dolphins turn his name in at 14 and they call his name, you're going to have a ton of fans that are like, I can't believe they take a chance on this guy because of this and that and the other. And that's a very valid point. But you have to trust that these guys have done that research. Now, you know, you look back at, you know, the predecessor that was there with Jeff Ireland, and you know, he, he made plenty of mistakes, and, and, and that was kind of the icing on the cake there. But uh, I, I think these guys are a little better. There was a story out this week about um, how Tannenbaum hired a team employee to be the uh, the driver for some of these prospects, and he would pick them up and just engage them in conversation. And he... He used that as part of his evaluation to see which one of them had charisma, which one of them you know was easier to talk to, and things like that. And uh, it ended up being Revis, and that's who he chose. So, I mean, when I read that, it kind of made me think, you know, these guys are a lot more slick and clever than we really think they are. And who knows what <laughs> what they've done to get evaluations on these players? So, whoever they pick, if it's Gurley with the injury issues, if it's Collins or Green Beckham with character issues, whatever it is, I'm going to trust these guys have done enough homework and they believe that uh, those aren't going to be issues. That's really what it all boils down to, doesn't it? Having faith. And uh, I think the most the, the problem is that the majority of Dolphins fans have been burned so many times that the faith, no matter how much we want it, just isn't there. Well, you're going to have to do it at some point. And I think that if yeah. you're going to trust the process, this is a good front office to do. I mean, have these guys given us any reason to doubt them thus far? 
I don't think so. Well, if you listen to if you listen to certain people, and I'm not talking about any beat writers, if you listen to certain people, then they're gonna say, yeah, they didn't give us any reason to believe in them either. Well, I don't know. They all they did was land land the biggest the biggest defensive fish. You got a, a Indomik and Sue going into his second contract. Technically, That's they would argue that he hasn't land. played yet. They would argue he hasn't played for us yet. Well, there's a big difference between getting a guy at the end of his career, which has happened around here many times. I think that they might be c- confusing that situation with a guy literally second contract. The only other example you can find of that in the past 25 years is Reggie White. I'm fairly certain that worked out well for the Green Bay Packers. <laughs> so, yeah, but, yeah, I mean, I mean you've got a, a great point you bring up. Well, no, no, no. A great point you bring up is the fact that oh, some people say that. I, I'm not interested in what those people say. I'm yeah. interested in what the people, I mean, I'm interested in what you guys say because I'm around you enough. I mean, we, we chat about this often on Twitter and other forms of media. I know where you guys are at. I think that you're all really knowledgeable football minds. So, yeah, if you came up and, and said something to that effect, I'd say, well, maybe I need to go ahead and take a step back and look at this. Maybe there's something to this. But notice that none of us, and it's not like we're lemmings here, but no, none of us have an issue with Hickabom thus far. I'm, what I've seen from these guys, I know some people had an issue with the Jawan James pick. I defy people to tell me that was the wrong pick, especially given what took place last season with the offensive line. I don't know if that pick could have been more clutch. And at the time, it looked like a, a reach and a dud, safe pick, a cop-out, whatever you want to say something they shouldn't have done at number 19 overall. I mean, I heard it all about Juwan James, but all I know is at the end of the day, Juwan James is this team's right tackle. It looks like he's going to be there for a long time, which is pretty exciting because that position was an absolute uh, just disaster for, for us, really since the end of Vernon Carey's career and so on and so forth. So, Well, we still have another disaster zone to deal with, and uh... – well, if we're not if we're going wide receiver in the first, we better be going guard in the second because if we're not, we're in trouble. Dallas Thomas, enough said. <laughs> well, I think that's where the the Lyle Collins thing comes in too. And the thing that maybe that news benefits someone because they get Lyle Collins at a spot that they wouldn't. Like suppose Carolina. I think Carolina would be pretty stoked about getting Lyle Collins. Oh, I'm sure. So, they mean, have Jonathan Martin and they have Jonathan Martin and Michael O'Hur as their tackles right now. I'm pretty sure they would be happy to have Lyle Collins. I agree. I couldn't agree with you more. I think that Lyle Collins, regardless of what people think, Lyle Collins is a player the Dolphins need to consider at number 14, and I think they will. And as Duke put it, Duke put it perfectly, that, yeah, you got stuff coming out right now, but you, as a, as a fan, you needn't worry about that right now. Trust the process. Let the front office take care of it. And these guys haven't given us any reason thus far to doubt them and think that they're going to boot this. Jarvis Landry is a great example, too. Of all the people who were complaining when uh, when Dennis Hickey was trained down last year in the second round, who were thinking, what are you doing? We need playmakers here. Now, Jarvis Landry isn't the ultimate playmaker. All I know is that he's, a, he's pretty much just a... a near do everything type receiver who's willing to do the dirty work. Those guys aren't easy to find. And he's reliable. He's clutch. That guy wants the ball, which for the longest time here was a big problem. It seemed like none of these guys wanted the ball. 
I think about Ted Ginn in that New Orleans game in 2009, and I feel to this day, I feel like Ted Ginn really got the, the short end of the stick from fans during and after that game because there was a lot of spots he was put in where he was looked at as a number one wide receiver during that game. He's not a number one wide out. He didn't want the ball. He didn't look like he wanted the ball. I mean, he was all wide-eyed. He looked terrified during some of those throws. Jarvis Landry is the kind of guy who wants to do the dirty work underneath, and he wants that ball. And I think Kenny Stills is the kind of guy who does great work in space, and he wants the ball. So, and Greg Jennings has demonstrated time and time again that he wants the ball. He at the When a game's on the line, he wants the ball. So I think it's a, sort of a Didn't little... Didn't Wallace do the overall. same thing? Yes, I Wallace wanted the ball. Yeah, he made not, it very clear he wanted the ball. I'm talking about late in games. I'm talking about Ed making the tough catches, making it when it counts, too. I understand that people uh, say, well, he made a great one-handed, one-handed grab out of bounds. I don't see it. That's a different I context, want the guy yes. to do it. Well, no, that's actually what I – that's how I started this, this discussion, talking about that Ted Ginn didn't want the ball, even though Ted Ginn had breakaway speed, outstanding deep threat. That and a kick returner, that's pretty much it. So this is something – so you're looking for a little bit of a culture change in the receiver court, and I think that you're finding it in the front office. So I trust these guys. I'm excited to see what they do. I don't think they're going to let us down. I mean, I'm not saying that every pick they make is going to be outstanding. I think that you look at the best regimes, and even they screw it up once in a while. So there needs to be a little bit of – there needs to be a grounded approach to expectations when it comes to the Miami Dolphins front office right now. Because considering a lot of things that they took over, a lot of things look better. They were fortunate to get a franchise quarterback in there. And, yes, I'm calling him a franchise. It's no longer franchise caliber. I think that Ryan Tannehill is a franchise quarterback. I mean, in my opinion, you look at what the uh, front office has done just this season. You look at you know, someone posted on Twitter kind of how bad the uh, 2013 offseason really was uh, in terms of free agency, the draft. And, I mean, you kind of look at, uh, look at what they've done. They, they've gotten rid of all those contracts. They traded players that no one thought could be traded because of those contracts. Um, they've added uh, good young talent. Uh, they brought in uh, Indomitian Sue, who's not just your ordinary free agent. This wasn't, you know, and I, I, you know, I think Brandon Albert's a great addition, but this guy, you know, that, as good as that was, this is even better. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like they came in and, I don't know, I, you just kind of got the sense they know what they're doing. You know, it's kind of like uh, when they got started, you just expected them to kind of stand out at the door and look at the crowd and go, I got this. I don't know, just me. No, I understand. That's a great point, too. I couldn't agree more, actually. I mean, it's. I, I think it's an exciting time. A lot of people, I, I've seen a lot of people on Twitter treat it like we're, we're just sort of trying, the Dolphins are trying to, to tread through mine-infested shallow water right now, and I don't think that's the case. You guys, they have an excellent quarterback in place who's still developing, who could who could be incredible when all is said and done. There's a lot of great things in place for this team right now. I mean, this is and think about the spots we've been in uh, the past couple of years, five years ago, ten years ago. Went into the to one season 
where we were depending on Gus Perot. Like, are you are you kidding me? I mean, as, as good a time of, as ever in the past yeah, 15 years I, to be a Dolphins fan. I, I think with the picks that people see and they either go, you know, oh, okay, I'm fine with this, or, like, who is this guy? I think the nice thing about those picks is that Miami's going, and when they do that, they're getting the guy that they want. They're all in on the guy that they want instead of just kind of, like, shooting in the dark on, okay, this guy's supposedly good. You know, everyone knows he's good. Like, I'd rather fail and go big on what I believe in than, you know, kind of take the easy road out and maybe be right. I think you're absolutely right. I think that you could probably put Deion Jordan in that category. I think that Jeff Ireland was looking to get some people off of his back. I was trying to impress him on, so he thinks he's going to get this this pass rusher who looks like the Terminator. And, you know, through through uh, a series of faults, his and, in my opinion, I, I still hold the coaching staff accountable for some of the stuff that went down with Deion Jordan. But ultimately, if you can't fix the player, I, no amount of coaching is going to change that. So if he's not interested in doing his job with this team, then it is what it is. I know that's the pick that everyone is is mourning right now. Everyone's sore about what happened to Andrew Jordan. I am too. You know, Duke was a huge fan of drafting Desmond Trufant with that number 12 selection that year. And that would have been a great pick for Miami. I think Desmond Trufant would do great work for the Dolphins. But one thing that I would probably uh, help serve this, uh, this fan base is the fact that hindsight is a borderline pointless tool. It does absolutely nothing but irritate you. And the thing is, a lot of the all the people who made those picks that really just dragged this team through mediocrity, a lot of those guys aren't here now. The jury's still out on, on Joe Philbin. We'll see. And Kevin Coyle. But I like where the front office is at. I like, I like Bill Lazor. What's that? Are you okay? Hmm? No, I'm fine. I didn't say anything. Oh, it sounded like you you had a comment or you were you had a you had a sort of dubious uh, dubious sound to whatever noise you just made. Did I make a noise? It sounded, sounded like, like a groan. <laughs> no, I'm I'm good. Continue your thoughts. Moving on. No, that's pretty much it. So, so really, I, mean, uh, I know, I know, uh, we can look. I know a lot of people were down on Joe Philbin and the coaches, but you know, and, and I'm I'm kind of down on him a little bit too. But I, just, just let's just be honest. Miami was two defensive plays away from being a ten and sixteen. I mean, there was a couple of defensive plays, a couple of offensive plays in there where some players dropped the ball or something like that. They were a couple of plays away from being a ten and sixteen. If if those plays happen, and it's not the coach's fault. But those plays didn't get made. Players were in a position just couldn't get it done. So if if the players make those plays, Miami's team is fixing in the playoffs, nobody cares. You know, it's not a discussion. So, you know, yeah, they need the, the coaches need to improve in some areas and get better, but you know, it's not their fault all the time that plays didn't get made. I agree. I think we're winding the show down a little bit. I know I'm tired and I need to get a couple of uh, 
additional articles up uh, this evening. So if there's anything else that you guys want to talk about before we go ahead and call it a night, now would be the time to do so. We didn't do our mock draft. I was all excited and stuff. Oh, that's right. Let's do the mock draft then. Uh, okay, let's let's figure this out. I knew we were missing something. Uh, okay, there's five of us five of us on here. Uh, is James um, here? Is it, is it six? No, no, no. It's just five. I'm the one who works the phones yeah. now. So uh, I'm the captain now. So <laughs> looking at, at it, we can do. Uh, let's let's go ahead and we'll do five. Uh, so we'll each we'll start like one, two, three, four, five, and then we'll just repeat. How's that sound? Sounds a little bit unorthodox, but why not? It's anarchy. The NFL draft is anarchy anyway. Let's do it. So, okay. Uh, let's go ahead and uh, I'll um, I'll start just just because. And uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna do the obvious. I'm not gonna get cute with it. Although I I am one of the few who would take Marcus Mariota over Jameis Winston, just so we're clear. But I'm gonna I'm gonna do what I think Tampa will do, which is I'm gonna take Jameis Winston at number one overall. Just so you know, I, I am documenting this right now. I'm writing it down. So who wants to? Well, Duke, you. How about your number two? We'll do it in list of uh, who's on the caller the caller line. Um, I, I'm gonna go with Marietta. I don't think. Uh, I mean, the Titans want to trade out and. I'm not going to you know, try to predict any kind of trades or nothing. So, um, if if they're stuck with the pick, I think they would go. I think they would go Marietta just just because. What do you think will happen at that spot, though? Do you think Tennessee fails to find a suitor and they just take them themselves? I, I do. And if I if there was if there was one piece of information out there that I would kind of believe in, I would believe that. Cleveland would make the trade up to get Marietta. Um, they've got the two first-round picks they can offer. Um, they do have a little bit better receiving core now with, with Bo and Hartline and what they had. Um, you know, it's not an ideal situation necessarily for Marietta, but um, you know, I, I could see I could see them making that move. Um, I, I don't buy any of the Philip Rivers stuff. I don't buy any of the Eagles stuff trading up. Uh, there's just a lot of moving parts to both of those that doesn't, don't make a lot of sense. So, uh, it, in my opinion, it's Cleveland moving up to number two or Tennessee staying at number two. And there are a number of players that they could pick uh, there at, at number two. Like I said, some of those pass rushers. But um, I, I think they would go, if they were on the clock and couldn't make the trade, I think they would go with Marietta. All right. He has spoken. Uh, I believe that means Lewis is next. You're number three. You're Jacksonville. <sighs> okay. Jacksonville, I think we're going to we're going to go to go ahead and uh, go with uh, Leonard Williams. I was going to say that this is one. Of, this is like the first, in my opinion, difficult pick because you have to figure that regardless of who's making that pick at number two, it's Marcus Mariota. But I wouldn't think that. I actually, actually, I actually mocked uh, Leonard Williams to the Titans on the Thin Maniacs mock draft. I didn't think they. I, I, w- I wasn't ready to give up on Mettenberger so quickly. 
That's a good point. I think I think uh yeah, I I'm not a big fan of Muttenberger, so I think I'm just being selfish. I think that if you're there you take Marcus Mariota. I think that's also a sort of uh esoteric response to watching Miami so many times pass on quarterbacks because they, cause they liked what they had. And I think sometimes if you get a, a guy who you think is is really going to be that good, then, I mean, just pony up, you know, man up and, and take him. Uh, okay, Brian, you're next. Just, you for, are... just, for the, just for the sake of argument real quick, do you believe that Mariota is going to be anything special? I think he's going to be pretty good, yeah. Okay. I think the the one thing that you can say against him is I don't think he's going to be ready right away, which is why I think Jameis Winston goes first. I think Jameis Winston will be ready, will be ready to contribute much sooner than Marcus Mariota. I think Marcus Mariota in the right, given the it's the same thing with Ryan Tannehill. If he if he gets into the right system and he's got the right offensive coordinator, he's got a guy who's actually knows how to develop him, then, yeah, I think he's going to be pretty good. Ryan Tannehill, I mean, let's be honest. Ryan Tannehill could have been a borderline disaster in the wrong system. No, I won't won't deny it. Yeah. I mean, it's something where it's nice that Mike Sherman, I wasn't a big fan of what Mike Sherman did with Ryan Tannehill, but you saw the huge leap that he made, and a lot of people would say, well, yeah, that's because, He's in year three with Laser, but I just think that Laser's the kind of guy that the NFL uh, really makes its money on right now. These guys who are these proto offensive minds. So, and the one that it seemed like we were looking at, uh, we hired a guy because we thought that Cam Cameron was going to be that sort of offensive mind at one point. Anyway, uh, Brian, you are the Oakland Raiders, which means that you uh, have that. Um, that Dutch boy haircut. Oh, the loser. <laughs> um, I like the uh, the Leonard Williams pick at three. Um, I think he'll be a good player. I agree with everything you said on Mariota. However, I am just going to put, before I make my pick, I'm going to put my prediction that I really say what you want. I really see no reason why Marcus Mariota won't be starting for the Philadelphia Eagles next year. I just think Chip Kelly is doing his thing. He has been quiet recently. Uh, he's obsessed with his ducks. Letting their Browns have their, their moment. And draft day, they have made all the, the the choices to build a team around Chip Kelly. And Chip Kelly will get his guy. That's just my prediction. So when it happens, you can let me know. <laughs> my pick for the Oakland Raiders would be Kevin White. I think uh, Oakland uh, looks at Amari Cooper, but they are usually one of the teams that are impressed with, um, you know, physicality, combine, and mostly speed. Um, Kevin White's got all three of those things uh, very well. I think he is the most – he isn't the most pro-ready as Amari Cooper, but he is a higher ceiling and he can help a team who's pretty anemic on offense score touchdowns. I think that's what um, Kevin White can do, and that's why I'm a big proponent of trying to see if there's any way, if he drops, if there's any chance in hell he could end up on the Miami Dolphins. But um, I think Kevin White, I've always said Kevin White will be the first receiver taken. I stand by that, and the fourth pick, the Oakland Raiders select Kevin White. I like it. I, I like the rationalization that Lewis put out there with Leonard Williams. I agree. 
Uh, Kevin White, I agree too. The iron, I like the sort of coincidence with this next pick. Uh, Zach, you're still here, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm on, guys. All right. Uh, your roommate's a Washington Redskins fan, right? Yeah, he is. All right. Well, you so get to I, make I this team stick warm. No, you can't. There's uh, a lot. There's actually more pressure on you than anyone else here. So, what do you think? Well, Washington, Washington is five. I think Washington's tough. I think Washington really looks to trade down here. They need to make amends for the RG3 um, ransacking, I guess we'll call it. But if they're staying at this pick, it's it's rough. I think I have to go with best player in my mind available here and take uh, Dante Fowler just because I, I know it, they have Trent Murphy, and I think Trent Murphy can be good, but I think Dante Fowler can be a whole different level especially pairing him with Kerrigan, who Kerrigan has really nice technique, and I've always been a big Kerrigan fan. So putting them together and him learning, I think he'll be a perfect rotation guy maybe right off the bat. If not, then every down player for them. Great. Oh, boy. Okay. I have to make You're a up, pick. <laughs> yeah, that's tough. No sabotaging. Be honest. Take a no, no, no. Yeah, I'm Sagan? I said take a yeah, punter. I'd like to. Uh, that's that's intriguing, and it's also tempting. I think that, uh, oh, man. Take Ken O'Brien. Yeah, UC Davis. I think that, uh, well, let's see, Todd Bowles needs a pass rush here. I think you can safely eliminate the idea of a of a cornerback at this point. <laughs> yeah, right, because they cornered the market. I don't. Again, another another pun. Sorry about that. Uh, you know, I'm gonna give him a. I'm gonna give him Todd Gurley. Mm. Wow. <laughs> Fair enough. You I gave him a girl. Why? <laughs> well, I'm not even trying to sabotage it. I think that, uh, well, if if they're as committed to Geno Smith as they claim, then you think about that pick goes, in my opinion, one of three ways. It's either Brandon Scherf, and you try to go ahead and reinforce the offensive line. The receiver, which it could be, that's the other one I thought about. Or you, you go ahead and, and if you buy into the whole Adrian Peterson comparison with Todd Gurley, that can also be your quarterback's best friend. I think that um, who's there? Uh, oh no, actually, I, I I already have that answered. I think that it's just the kind of splash pick that I can see the the Jets going with to kick off this whole new regime. Although I I also considered Omari Cooper, but I can see Todd Gurley going into the spot. So this feels like a Jets thing. This is a team that took tight end after tight end. So don't question me. You win. You win offense. I think that was about as good as you can get. Geno needs all the help he can get, unless he's playing in Miami. That's like the one. That's like the one exception. Every time Geno plays in Miami, he suddenly becomes a superstar. Right. Yeah, I know. He and a Fad Lewis. I don't get it with those guys. All right. Um, 
Duke, you are the uh, Chicago Bears. You are Ryan um, Pace and the Chicago Bears. Who are the, uh, let's see, so it's Winston, Mariota, Leonard Williams, Kevin White. Uh, who was the fifth pick? Dante Fowler. Okay, so with the, with the seventh pick, Chicago Bears take Vic Beasley. Oh. And, uh, I, I, I'd call, I wouldn't say that's our first surprise because I think Gurley would be a bit of a surprise, but that's a... Uh, that's an interesting um, pick for a for a bear. They, I mean, I mean they're, they're building the, they're building the defense. They've got some edge rushers. They added uh, Pernell McPhee, but um, you know when you can add a, a guy that can come off the edge like that with his athleticism, you know, uh, I, I think they take a guy like him. So with him sitting on the board at seven, I mean, there's a couple of ways they can go, but uh, I think that's a not just a safe pick, but a, a good pick for them. And, you know, I, I don't know that they would take a cornerback at that spot, and they could probably use a little help in, in the secondary, but in, in the division with uh, now with Bridgewater and Rodgers and Stafford throwing the ball all over the place, you need a guy that can get after the quarterback. So, uh, you know, can't hurt to add another pass rusher. I agree. That's a good pick. I can, Lewis, I can go with that. Okay, who is it? You, you have the Atlanta Falcons at number eight. I'm up. Yeah, I'm up. Uh, oh, you took all the pass rushers. I thought I was up, no? Or am I off? No, it's it's Lewis and then Brian. Oh, okay. Stop trying to cut in line. My bad. You're <laughs> up. He can cut if he wants. I'll switch with him. Jeez. Yeah, but I don't want that pick anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I'm not, this is a tough one. Like, you stole all the pass rushes. It would have been easy. I know. Uh, that was, uh, That's pretty that much was all they wanted. On, uh, you got to find your Leo pass rusher. could also uh, upgrade the offensive line, too, just saying. Okay, well, they, they they need help on defense, and maybe they need to give a little more help to Matt Ryan. They they have enough, like, offensive weapons to last a lifetime. Julio Jones, Roddy White. I'm not sure if they're still looking for a uh, Tony Gonzalez replacement. I'm not watching the Falcons that carefully. They still have their quarterback Matt Ryan. They don't need a they don't need a wide receiver. That's for sure. You know what? I'm just gonna go with uh, Brandon Scherf, just because the, they need to give Matt Ryan some more protection. It's not a good idea. It's as we Dolphins fans know quite well by now. If your quarterback is on his back, he can't do much for you. I agree. And it's a good pick. If there had been a good a pass, if, if Beasley had still been there or somebody like that, I would have picked them without even hesitating. No one faults you for the pick. I certainly don't. Brian, you're up with the New York football Giants. New York Giants. That was a good pick for Atlanta. I think Atlanta will try to trade up um, and get one of the stop, top guys for a pass rusher. Like you said, is their main goal they couldn't get to the, the rusher or the passer, I'm sorry. Um, or Atlanta might be one of those teams that uh, Gurley goes to. I don't think Gurley's mm-hmm. going to make it out in the top ten, and I think for some reason he might just stay at home in Georgia. But to my picks, the Giants, um, in a tough spot, but they definitely need offensive line help. So I would have gone with Scherf. I'm a little bit pissed that he's gone if I'm a Giants fan. 
I'd probably get the best tackle. Um, with the, probably, um, I'll take probably Pete, the tackle from Stanford. I think he can uh, jump in. and He's a big uh, power guy, so I think he'll uh, kind of anchor down whatever side they need him to in New York. So that was my pick. You ha- you have to figure that he's going to go a lot higher than than people assume tomorrow night. Something about that guy's stock just makes me feel like some team within I I don't know I don't know if I'm comfortable getting a, giving a range top top sixteen top seventeen because I've seen him mocked in the twenties. We have to think that some team is going to buy him as oh, a, a franchise left tackle. Yeah, Andrews Pete. Yeah, it was between him and Flowers, but I, just, I don't know. I went with Pete. Yeah, I per, I prefer Flowers actually. So, uh, Zach, you are the uh, St. Louis Rams at number ten. Uh, all right, so the Rams also need offensive line help. And speaking of Eric Flowers, I'm going to take Eric Flowers here <laughs> because I love Eric Flowers. Um. He he is just a, a big, nasty Miami man, and he reminds me absolutely of Vernon Carey. Um, and they can plug him in on the right side, the opposite of Robinson. They can plug him in at guard, wherever they want. He's He's got to work on some pass protection. Um, I think that's due to his size. He'll come in and he will annihilate smaller defensive linemen, and if he gets to the second level, linebackers and safeties will be terrified. Can't can't disagree. We've had a lot of a lot of conversations regarding Flowers, so I don't I don't disagree with any of that. I think that he's gonna. I'm certainly higher on him as a pro than I think most uh, most in the Twitter scouting community are. Um, Minnesota at number eleven. I think this is where Amari Cooper goes. I'd love to be selfish and and keep him keep him on the board for later, but I think that I think Minnesota looking at uh their uh their best um receivers last year, they need a they need a real weapon. They need a guy who's gonna be a, a sort of do everything type receiver for Teddy Bridgewater. I think that Mark Cooper can can be that guy for him. I don't know. I I was thinking maybe they were looking to get somebody else on the defense. At least that's what everybody else has been mocking, whether it's Waynes or Peters or Johnson, but somebody in that that kind of at that position. Yeah. You can see that too. I can't change it now. But yeah, there are guys in there. I know for a while a lot of people thought that it could be Eric Kendricks. Because their uh, their linebacker core is sort of a work in progress. Um I saw I saw somebody talking about uh, the outside possibility that they go after a guy like Bud Dupree, which would be interesting. Just an absolute house, just to give him some pass rushing depth. Because they have Anthony Barr and they have Everson Griffin. But it would be nice to, because, I mean, they have a nice defensive line going right now. And, I mean, a guy like Dupree could just absolutely put it in overdrive. But a lot in this one, they get Amari Cooper, which is which hurts all of us. I think most of us, at least. Duke, you I was are surprising Cooper's been so long. I know. Well, I mean, 
he could be he could be the guy going to the Jets. I mean, he was the the other guy I I wavered on at number six. So, Duke, you get to play the role of Ray Farmer. So, what I need you to do is put your cell phone away, no texting, and go ahead and make this pick. I mean, there are a ton of picks that make sense, but this is Cleveland. So you're gonna trade three. Of your dra- you're gonna trade two of your draft picks anyway. So who cares? Yeah, I guarantee yeah. they're drafting here next <laughs> tomorrow. I'm going to go with a guy that uh, I don't know who they have at this position, but um, I'm going to give them Landon Collins. Uh, I don't think that they have. Uh, they ha- I don't think they've really ever replaced T.J. Ward. They've got Tayshawn Gibson as the free safety. At least he's. They gave him a, a restricted free agent tender, so I don't know what else going on there. But I don't know who their safeties are. I don't think they have anybody back there that is as talented as Landon Collins is, and he can be that in the box safety for them. So uh, it's not necessarily a surprise pick or a uh, weird pick because it's help they can use, but I, I just couldn't really think of anybody else that that really made sense. I mean, I could see Devontae Parker maybe. I just, I just think they're going to wait on receiver. Um, Danny Shelton maybe, but I, I don't know. that. Collins seems to be the to be the best pick of all the picks that didn't make sense to me. So. <laughs> All right, Lewis, New Orleans Saints, number 13 overall. <sighs> New Orleans is actually where I would have brought in Landon Collins. <sighs> I I guess, I mean, they're, they're reeling right now because they've traded away most of their offensive weapons. I mean, now the Stills is gone and they traded Jimmy Graham, of all people. Drew Brees is just looking around wondering, where the heck did all my weapons go? So, <laughs> as much as it pains me to do this, at this point, I'm thinking that the Saints need to, revamp, need to restock their offensive weapon uh, artillery and they're going to draft Devontae Parker to start doing that. Wow. I don't disagree with the logic, by the way. I think that they've they've put themselves themselves in a position where this is the rational decision for them at number thirteen overall. Because while they do need to to do work in the front seven, that receiver cupboard is awfully bare right now. <laughs> so we're gonna let Brian make this pick, but the at fourteen for Miami. But the we'll add a don't little. make me mad, Brian. What we're going to do is is, uh, mention that once Brian makes his pick, I'll let everyone else uh, make their pick for Miami as well to see how it it gels with the rest of this draft. So, sorry, Brian, go ahead. No, that's fine. I was going to say before I start, I'm just trying to take a group vote and see who would be happy if this is how the draft played out and Miami could not find anyone to trade back right now. Who would be happy if we're sitting here and the board is how it is. 
I would be fine because I think there are a number of picks that Miami could take at 14 that are still on the board that I would be cool with, um, even at 14. Um, so I'm not – I mean, yeah, Devontae Parker's not there, but based on the picks that have gone, other than that, I'm I'm, I'm fine. All right, well, um, I'm sure everyone will sound off after me. Um, obviously, I think Devontae Parker definitely would have been the pick. I didn't see him uh, going against New Orleans. I thought New Orleans was going to go secondary, possibly with a cornerback or so. Uh, I'm not sure on Trey Wayne as far as a good fit for the Dolphins. Uh, Danny Shelton is interesting and intriguing, uh, but I don't think he's the pick. I'm higher on Eric Kendricks than most people, but I don't know if this is the year where we go and linebacker with our first pick. So, um, despite all the drama today, I just have a, a feeling that the way the draft is setting up and everything is going recently and the moves Miami's making, we're going to play it kind of conservative like we did last year. Um, there might be some backlash, but I think Miami, before today, um, and I'm not going to mess around with it based on how but I think Miami will actually look at uh, Collins here um, as a tackle. And he'll, he'll slide in as guard, and he his um, experience at tackle, he might be the, the best tackle in the draft. Um, Didn't Collins get picked already? No. Landon He's talking about Lyle Collins. Yeah, Lyle Collins. Okay. I thought he got picked. No, I thought he got picked already. No, uh, that Landon. was uh, Landon Collins. Yeah. Um, it's not a sexy pick like last year, but last year ended up working out for us. I think guard is currently the team's biggest need or biggest hole, I would say, maybe not need or value. Um, and it definitely makes our offense better. I think Devontae Parker would have been the, the move. Miami's looking to trade down at this point at all costs. But um, if they have a good feeling about Collins not being in any actual trouble, I think he makes the most sense at this pick, even though there are a couple of decent options. And if I was um, picky, I would look to trade down. But if I'm not, well, Collins is my pick at 14. Zach, you're next. Who are you taking for the Dolphins at number 14? Uh, at this point, I'll make the case for the Danny Shelton case because you know at this point that I love Danny Shelton. Um, a lot of people see him as a 3-4 a Knows, you know, maybe a four three zero one shade, but I, I think he can he can play that that three tech too, um, and I think he just brings the versatility. And the best part is he played so many snaps at Washington that putting him in that defensive tackle rotation that Miami really loves, I think he'll benefit from more. You know, you're not you're not giving Earl Mitchell all of the snaps, which I, I'm not sure if he could handle right off the bat. He had a good year last year but I'm not sure if he can handle that load. So having those guys, plus having Anthony Johnson um, backing them up in case someone goes down, God forbid, um, I think that'd be a really interesting pick. I don't, I don't know if it will be the pick, but I think it would definitely be an interesting case. Very nice. Duke, you're next. I mean, there's, there's literally four or five players that I would be happy with. Um, I mean, if I had to go with who I think that the Dolphins would actually pick at this point, um, 
I'm, and, I, and I, I was forced to take someone that hasn't already been mentioned. Um, I would say Nelson Aguilar. But if it were me, personally, uh, I'm, I'm still a fan of Doyle Greenbeckham. Um, I, I think the uh, the talent will outweigh off the field issues. And granted, I don't have uh, I don't have the inside information that King does, but um, he's a guy that he's not going to come in immediately and be a superstar receiver. Uh, but in three years from now, uh, I think all Dolphins fans will be happy with watching Tannehill uh, chuck up some passes to him and him uh, becoming an elite playmaker. So that would be who I would want to take. I've been a fan of his since first watched him in 2013. So, uh, But who I actually think they'll take is Aguilar. Okay. Lewis, you're next. Lyle Collins, no question. Next. Give Tannehill some protection for once in his career, please. 139 sacks in three years is unacceptable. He should have broken by now. It's a miracle he hasn't. I agree. I was hoping that we were going to get five five different people at at this spot. Um, I'm going to go off the beaten path a little bit. I'm going to take a guy I'm partial to in this draft. I'm going to take uh, Kevin Johnson, cornerback out of Wake Forest. I was scared to death you were going to pick Trey Wayne just to mess with me. Uh, I'm not going to say the thought didn't cross my mind, pardon the double negative, but Uh even even when it comes to trolling you, I have my limits. And Mm -hmm. right here, just I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of Kevin Johnson. Zach and I were talking about him earlier today. Duke as well. Uh, Duke and I have watched uh, a lot of tape, and uh, I came away pretty impressed. I liked him. Uh, Well, not a huge fan of his long speed. He is everything that the Dolphins do in the uh, in the secondary. You watch him play, and it it was basically like, you know, uh, I remember the tape we watched. It was basically like watching the Dolphins cornerbacks play. you know, he was seven to ten yards off the ball every time. He was uh, pretty much a zone guy. Um, like Will Davis, he's allergic to tackling. Um, but other than that, I thought he uh, played the ball well, has good technique. So, yeah, I like that pick. Thank you. I appreciate the compliment. I want to throw a name out there that I know Zach and I have talked about that a lot of people aren't even mentioning to the Dolphins. And if the Dolphins are going to throw out, if the Dolphins are going to completely pull, uh, pull a surprise move, it's going to be Jake Fisher. Um, mm. No one has mentioned him to the Dolphins. No one. But he was a super athletic guy, um, got left tackle potential. Uh, but he's a guy, in my opinion, that you could plug in at left guard right now. He's he needs to add some strength, so he might be lacking a little bit in, in the run game. But when you put him out there, if you get a guy that size on the move, getting to the second level, I think he's going to uh, to be a good player. Um, and then, you know, he's an eventual successor to Brandon Albert. But, you know, a lot of, a lot of times these teams will, you know, they will talk to players, they'll fill out all this information, and they'll, draft a guy that no one was expecting, kind of like how Jacksonville did with Blake Bortles. So if there was a guy out there that, in my opinion, is on Miami's board, high on Miami's board, that is not being talked about as Jake Fisher. 
and it's being talked about now. So you, you people heard it here first. All right, so actually we're coming up right on uh, 10.30 Eastern, so this worked out perfectly. I'm glad you guys remembered the whole mock draft. I would have forgotten about it. Any last thoughts before we uh, we sign off for the night? Anything anything pressing on your mind? Anything you want to talk about in terms of the Trey Wayne? I'm not going to go into it. I was interested that nobody tried to to mock uh, Rashad Perryman to the Dolphins. Not that I would, but for some reason that seems to be the the square peg in a round hole that a lot of people are trying to force at number 14. And I understand that. I mean, there's tons of explosiveness with that guy. There's just big there's big play of ability for days with him. But I think the lack of of route running polish hurt. I know some people claim that. Ed, the drops with them are focused drops, and they're not—they're not indicative of having hands of stone or anything. So, I was—I was, I was kind of interested to see if if anyone here was going to take that leap of faith and say, "Oh, here you go." Here's for shot Perryman. No, there's not a whole. There's not a whole lot of. There's not a whole lot of people actually wanting to take Perryman like he's some big deal. Although, if you're going to talk about potential, I think he's somewhere along the lines of. He he would probably be the uh, less dangerous off-field issue of Doriel Green Beckham because DGB has more um, his better measurables and he has uh, greater potential to be a star. But Perryman is cleaner as far as off-the-field stuff is concerned. He just doesn't. He just ha- he just drops the ball more than Perryman um, rather than uh, Green Beckham. They both still have the same. Um, criticism of their route running. They're both not that great at it, and Perryman, the one thing that people say about him is that he's stiff and he doesn't run, and he doesn't play nearly as fast as his 40 time indicates. So there's a few people who are saying that they don't see that, but I'm going with the general consensus that Perryman is not as good as people are saying that he is. My pick at wide receiver, personally, and I, like I said, I like Doyle Green Beckham, but if, if if I had to give advice to Dolphins fans as to what type of receiver Miami need, find out whichever receiver in this draft is the absolute best at running a wide receiver screen and then draft that guy. I, it, it, it sickened me watching them throw the ball to Wallace or even Hartline last year on these wide receiver screens. Those guys are not guys that, that excel at those type of routes. They are straight-line guys different type of things, but they are not guys that are going to make you miss in space. Find a guy that can make you miss in space that uh, if if you had to try to tackle this guy in a phone booth, he would still get out, and that's the guy you want. Which is why I'm a big fan of Dorsett and Aguilar and guys like that, because they can do that. i got to say I love the people on the site. Uh, I don't know. I've seen this guy's name many, many times. I never know how to pronounce it. It looks like Neat 88, the Tay, Neat. I would call him Neat 88, but he went ahead and he uh, he cataloged this 14-pick this mock draft for us. So thanks for doing that. That was really nice of you. Some people were following along that. I like seeing that, too. That's funny. I always love seeing the uh, the comments that people people put out here. I mean, the point of this, this entire... Uh, exercise we did with this mock draft just proves that, I mean, 14 can go so many ways. 
especially if those receivers are off the board. I think it becomes an open and shut case if you have a guy like Devontae Parker there. But, I mean, stuff, uh, stuff gets real if uh, New Orleans takes him at number 13. But, I mean, that's okay. I like the excitement. I like the to me, the, the way the Dolphins have set things up so that the only thing that is really a need at this point is the guard because they've taken care of wide receiver and free agency. They've tried to handle a cornerback with Zach Bauman and uh, Bryce McCain. They've tried to handle a linebacker with uh, – they brought back Kelvin Shepard for depth, and they still have Jordan Tripp. And uh, um, word and word inside the organization is that the Dolphins are pretty much in love with Tripp, and they like his instincts, so he could possibly play middle linebacker moving forward. And he's definitely buffed up since the uh, last season, so he could probably do that if the push comes to shove. So really the only thing that's left that's actually a need, per se, like like an actual hole that needs to be filled or we're in serious trouble at this point is guard. Um, Valai Marpet is still there in the second round. I can see them going there. So there's still room for – they've set things up so that they can take best player available if they wanted to it in the first round. That's why the whole idea of, well, who are you going to take in the 14? There is no clear choice because now the way the Dolphins have set up the roster, they could pretty much take whoever they wanted. And I agree. The, the issue I have with a guard at 14 is just based on positional value because guards have lower positional values than most other positions. However, I think what I, you know, there's going to be a life thread tomorrow, and it's Collins or Fisher, whoever gets taken at 14 as an offensive lineman, fully an interior offensive lineman, then there's going to be a lot of uproar. But in my opinion, if they take a guy at 14 – He's going to be a guy that will eventually move out to left tackle, not stay at left guard. So well, Collins can do that. But yeah, so those picks are they are future tackles, not fixtures at guard, which means they're going to have a need at guard eventually again, but eventually you're going to have a need at left tackle because Brandon Albert can't play forever. So, you know, at this point in this particular draft, if you think you can find a tackle at 14, that can move inside the guard for a little bit and then move outside, I, I think that's a good pick. If you're just looking for a strict guard at 14, uh, like a David DeCastro type, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't go that route. Oh, David DeCastro. Well, I, I enjoyed this conversation we had tonight. I thought we brought up some really good points. I always love hearing your guys' side when it comes to the whole football analysis. We have some really smart football people who contribute to the, the website. And uh, even though Zach doesn't come around much because uh, <laughs> someone banned him, uh, I, I, we, we talk to him on Twitter all the time, and it's great. Uh, I'd like to thank everyone for checking in tonight. For Really, I mean, we had a five-person panel the whole night, and it was outstanding. Uh, so hope for the best tomorrow. It's going to be interesting regardless. Disappointing for some, I'm sure. Uh, thrilling for others. So, uh, kind of look through and see if there's anything else that I want to cover before we go ahead and uh, close it down. And I don't think so. So, uh, for Dad, I have one Lewis, question. Oh, you, you say this now as I do my send off. What? <laughs> Is anybody going to the draft party tomorrow? At the stadium, uh, where's the draft? Well, I, 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 I think I think CT on the site said that he was going to be there on a post. So, um, 
that you can look for him. He's took pictures up on the on the site before. I think he was at the Texans game in 2012. So you can look for him. He's the only one that I know of that on the site that said he was actually going to be there. And when you do see him, tell him that you want to draft Lyle Collins. I'm sure he'll agree with you. So um, I'm going to uh, I'm going to the draft on Friday, but I'm going because it's my buddy's bachelor party, and that was what his brother did for him. Is we're all going down to because um, obviously the draft is in my neck of the woods this year, so I'll be there on Friday. I, I don't know how how long I'm going to be in there, but I do look forward to it. So. You know that means you have to get on TV. Oh, yeah. One of those people. I just, my favorite Dolphins fan to ever get on TV during a, a draft telecast was, um, sorry to say, it was when they traded over Deion Jordan and you had that one guy who was almost doing the slow clap. Do you remember him? He was sitting there and he was like kind of slow clapping and just like trolling the camera and trolling all the, the Jets fans in there. I love that guy. I wish I could find it, find him so he could call into the show. See that it was for the, the Deion Jordan pick. But anyway, yeah, plenty of draft parties going on. Louis, you're going to be a Sun Life, right? Uh, yeah, I got I'm going to be uh, covering the event that's going on there. So, ooh, I almost called it Land Shark. How terrible is that? Really terrible. But Land Shark Stadium. Land Shark. I actually like Land Shark beer. Does that make me a complete corporate whore or what? Nah, that's not too bad. I don't mind that. It's not in my top two, but I do enjoy it. So, all right, guys. For Duke, Lewis, Brian, Zach, um, I'm Keith, and we were able to spend exactly one hour and 38, well, 39 minutes with you guys tonight. Thanks uh, to everyone who called in. Uh, enjoy the draft tomorrow night and the rest of the draft that goes on through the weekend. Uh, cross your fingers, hope for the best, and uh, we'll be back here uh, on Thursday next week to go ahead and talk about everything that went down. So for everyone at the Insider, uh, have a great night, a uh, great draft weekend, and we'll talk to you later. Peace. Good night. Thanks, guys. Hey everybody, it's Neil Patel, Editor-in-Chief of The Verge. I host a podcast every week called The Verge Cast with my friends Paul Miller and Dieter Bone. We've got a rotating cast of characters from our entire site, which is about technology, how it impacts culture, and how that is all a big cycle that causes us to have a wide variety of feelings that you can listen to every Friday. We've done over 300 episodes in the six years since The Verge has been around, but you only need to listen to one, the latest one, to get caught up on everything in tech news. Vergecast is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere else. Also, you listen to podcasts, check it out.